It is a joy to be with you again. I'm just going to do that. Is that okay? Um, it is always a pleasure to come worship with you all and sing with you all and pray with you guys. So thank you for letting me do that. Um, this, this semester in RUF, we've been going through the, the book of Exodus, entitled The Gospel in Exodus, Knowing God in Our Wilderness Wanderings. For though it is a historical account of God's people actually being rescued from slavery out of Egypt into the promised land, it is also our story as God's people. That when God rescues us and saves us from our sin, it's not like things always get better. Often we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness, right? And the older I get, I see that, that that's the case. But it is a promise that as we do so, God is with us. And actually in the wilderness is where God makes his life with his people. So this past week, I preached on Exodus 15. And so I thought, why not do it, do it again? Um, so a little horse, you know, background context of what happened in Exodus 14, and then we'll, we'll rise and listen to, to God's word, is that God uh, sends the 10th plague. All the firstborn of, of the families in Egypt die. And Pharaoh says, enough, I'll let you go. And so they, the Israelites leave Egypt. They head off into the wilderness. And after a few months... Um, Pharaoh, probably stewing in anger and bitterness and resentment, decides to come after the Israelites. And they send 600 chariots, which back then would have been the most technology of the day. So it would have been like tanks coming after Israel. And they're not coming, therefore, just to enslave them again. They're coming to destroy them this time. In fact, the Israelites understand that. That's why they say, are there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to start complaining to Moses? And Moses, I love his response. He goes, fear not, see the salvation of the Lord all you have to do is be quiet. Like, okay, just stop talking and watch God work. And of course, Israel goes through the dry ground, it says very clearly of the Red Sea. And uh, Egypt and Pharaoh, as they come through, they're actually clogs get, their wheels get clogged up, most likely because of the wet mud of the dry ground. And even then we see a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Israel makes it through, the waters come crashing down, and then Israel is on the other side of the Red Sea in the wilderness, and they sing a song. It's known as the Song of the Sea, or the Song of Moses. They have no idea where they're going to get their food, how long they're going to be in the wilderness, where they're going to get their drink. And yet, they sing a song. And so the question for us is, why are they singing in the wilderness? Why are they singing in the wilderness? So if you would please rise uh, and give your attention to the good news of a God in Exodus 15 who gives us a reason as God's people to sing. So Exodus 14, verse 30, and it's a long passage, but we got this. Exodus 14, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send them out, or you send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap, and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. 
The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall deliver them, destroy them. Excuse me. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling ceases, seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them. On your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Verse 19. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and the horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's given to you in love. Let me pray. Father, open our hearts and our minds and our voices, Lord, to hear uh, your word and to receive it into our hearts and to sing it this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, if um, in the Old Testament, the Passover meal of God's people correlates to the New Testament meal uh, and sacrament of the Lord's Supper for us, then this event, this crossing the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea, correlates to our New Testament sacrament of baptism, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says all of Israel were baptized into Moses and into the sea. And it made me think of, naturally, my daughter's baptism, Eleanor. Um, and I know maybe there are some of us who, who have different traditions and beliefs about baptism, but the main belief that we can all agree on is that baptism is not about us celebrating our faithfulness, right? It's actually about celebrating God's faithfulness, what he has done for us and what he will promise to do for us. And so at Eleanor's baptism, I was in seminary, um, and her baptism, we, we attended this small neighborhood church, Old Orchard, um, probably around this size. And our friends were there, our family were there. I remember the scene, my daughter was wearing a white dress, and the tradition of the church uh, is that the pastor actually walks up and down the aisles with, with the child, so that everyone can see the child who's about to be a covenant, covenant child, and explains the etymology of the name, Eleanor's name means light, by the way, um, and, and then afterwards comes to the front, and the whole time he's explaining the faithfulness of God, that this is a, a God's promise to be faithful to this child. And uh, he says, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he takes his water and, and dumps it on her head. And, and the water drips down her face. She begins to cry. The congregants begin to smile. And then the most beautiful thing happens. The whole church then busts out into a song. They bust out into the doxology. And everyone in there sings, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I will never forget that moment. As these people celebrate with their voices, with a song, God's faithfulness, for my daughter, as she begins to make her way into the wilderness of this world. 
And I say that because that is exactly what's happening in our passage. That as they are baptized through the Red Sea, they come out into the wilderness and they begin to sing. You notice in verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the people sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. In verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. That they are singing and celebrating God's faithfulness in the wilderness. And I think um, the question for all of us is, as we kind of traverse the wilderness, what, what tune, what song are we singing in this world as Christians? Look, the Bible is filled of questions of God. The Psalms, Lamentations. Moses even does it in Exodus 5. Like, you've only brought evil on your people. Why did you even send me? And so I want to encourage the honesty that God invites us to ask him. But also, as we're in the wilderness, the, the Bible also teaches us to sing and to celebrate God's faithfulness, to sing of his faithfulness to the world that needs hope, that needs him. And so, uh, if you're going to sing in the wilderness, what do you got to know? Well, in this passage, we can learn we have to know two things. If we want to celebrate God's faithfulness as his people and sing in the wilderness, we have to know two things. One is we have to know the words to the song, and we have to know the tune. I know, very catchy. You're welcome. Know the words and know the tune. So first, you have to know the words. If you're going to sing a song, you've got to know the words. Remember when I worked at, with RUF at Georgia, I had a student there named Andrew Peake. He's now become a good friend. We would work out together. We do some uh, squats, you know, bench press, Romanian deadlifts, all the classic, classic lifts. Um, but then music would be playing overhead as we were working out. And he and I, you know, it's kind of upbeat music. I mean, always, we never knew the words. And every now and then we'd be like, uh, feeling. Uh, tonight, you know, we had no idea what the words were. And we'd find out later. We were like, man, we love that song. We find out what the actual words were. We're like, oh my gosh, it's a little scandalous. Okay, I didn't know there was so much dancing involved in that song. Okay. Um, and, and so we would say that we really didn't know the words. We didn't know the song because we didn't know the words, right? We didn't actually know the song. And the enemies of God, those who don't know God, in this passage, they're singing their own song. They have their own words. If you notice in verse 9, as they're in the wilderness, they say, I will pursue, I will overtake, I'll divide the spoil, I'll draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. They're singing their own words. They're singing about their own faithfulness, what they can do, how great they are, their strength. And notice in verse 10, Moses, whoever wrote the song, goes, well, you blew through your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead. It's like, look, we, we can't know the enemy's words. We often sing those words. We've got to know God's words, what, what, what it means to not celebrate our faithfulness and our greatness and our hand, what our hands can do, but what God has done. And so two things we've got to know. One is we've got to know the substance of our faith. That if we're going to sing, we've got to know the substance of our faith. Do you notice how much this passage is about God and his power and like what he has done in this world? It is all about what God has done by his power, that the substance of our faith is celebrating what God has done for us, not what we can do for him. If you notice in verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great power of the Lord that he used against the Egyptians, and so they feared him. Or verse 1, he has triumphed gloriously. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and hosts he has cast into the sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, glorious in power, your right hand shatters the enemy. The blast of your nostrils, the flood stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed. I mean, in verse 11, who is like you, O God, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, wonder worker. I mean, this whole song is about God and his power and what he has done historically in space and time in this world. And here's the deal. If our faith, if God can't actually act in this world, what's the point? What is the point of our faith if God can't actually do something in this world? This is why... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead physically, bodily, our faith is in vain. There's no point to it. 
But God, the substance of our faith is that he actually acts for us in this world. And that is our faith, the substance of our faith to what God has done. But also, if that's the substance, then man, we've got to see his faithfulness in this world. We've got to see it. He is at work. We have to see God's faithfulness. And this is why I think Moses wrote in here, verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead. These former slave masters who raped their children and beat their, their husbands and killed their, their sons in the first chapter, you guys remember this? Like, they are dead. They have no more power over them. God has rescued them. And what God is saying in this passage, he's trying to get the Israelites to look away from themselves and their circumstances and look to God's faithfulness, to see his faithfulness in the world. And God has been doing this in the Bible. Like, he's constantly trying to get his people to look and behold his faithfulness. This is why in Genesis 2, when he makes Adam and Eve, he says, look and behold, this whole creation I've made for you. It's the same thing he says to Noah after the flood. This is what he says to Abraham, where, where he says, hey, from you is going to come a great nation. Abraham's like, I don't know if you know this. I'm getting old. My wife has passed the stage. I don't think this is going to happen. He goes, Abraham, come here. He grabs his hand, takes him out. He's like, look at these stars. Do you see my faithfulness? This is what David does. He doesn't look at Goliath, this giant thing in front of him, but he looks at the Lord and his power and his strength. And then think about the life of Jesus, who, who healed blind people. Can you imagine the first thing you see in this world is the face of Jesus? How incredible would that be? Or think about John 4, this woman who had had five husbands, and the one she's with now isn't her husband, and Jesus says, stop looking to that in your shame. I who speak to you am he, right now. I'm your faithful husband, right in front of you. Or think about Saul, who he was speaking like the enemies, right? I will go to Damascus. I will destroy the Christians. I will do this for you, God. And God goes, uh-uh, you are blind. We've got to change your sight. You're looking at your own faithfulness, your own greatness. And he blinds him on the road. And then through his baptism, through his own crossing of the Red Sea, it says scales fell off of his eyes. And he finally saw God's faithfulness in this world and stopped looking at himself. Like this whole Bible... This whole Bible is filled with God calling us to look at his power and his work in this world and his faithfulness and not our own. And so we've seen that if we're going to celebrate God's faithfulness and sing in the wilderness, we have to know the words. And the words are the substance of our faith is what God has done for us. And we have to see God's faithfulness um, by not looking at our own circumstances or ourselves, but looking at what he's done for us. But also, we have to know the tune. Some of us know the words pretty well, right? <laughs> Grew up in church a long time and... Well, uh, justification is an act of God's free grace, whereby, you know, glory. You know, like we know the words. Um, but some of us have forgotten the tune. And the tune of this song is a love song. Now, everyone call like, oh, there's that college pastor talking about love. Like, it's a love song, okay? Now, look, I love musicals. I've always loved musicals. I think my whole life is a musical, and my wife tells me to stop singing because I'm singing all the time. Les Miserables, Wicked, Grease. I want to see all of them. And I thought about, why do I love musicals? And it's when I was in high school, my mom gave me a VHS of West Side Story. If you know this musical, it's from 1961. She gave it to me, and I, I'm, I'm watching it after school on the couch alone as a 16-year-old, which tells you a lot about my life at the time, <laughs> what I was doing. Um, but I remember watching it, and uh, there's, you know, it has the Jets, the Caucasians in New York City, and Riff, the leader of that gang. Then you have Bernardo, the Puerto Ricans, leader of that gang, and they're the Sharks. And Riff's best friend is Tony, and Bernardo's younger sister is Maria, Maria. And they meet at a dance. Mm-mm. 
they start dancing, they get swept away, and they kiss, which I'm not, uh, not affirming kissing someone you just met, but it's a love song. Anyway, and so it's a musical. So they meet each other, and they kiss, and he's leaving. And you see everything fades out of sight as Tony's leaving the dance. And he's wandering in the back alleys of New York City. And then he begins to say her name, Maria, Maria. And he busts out into a song. I won't sing it for you. But he says, Maria, I've just kissed a girl named Maria. And suddenly I found how beautiful a sound can be. Maria, say it loud and there's music playing. Say it soft. And it's almost like praying. Maria, I'll never stop saying. Maria, sorry. I'm telling you, as a 16-year-old boy eating those Pringles on that couch alone, and I saw this young boy, Tony, singing his love for this girl, Maria. I mean, it set me on fire. I was like, i got to be a part of a, a love song like that. And what I want to say is we are. We are a part of a love story like that. Look, and I'm not just making this up. Look at verse 13. He says, You, O Lord, have led in your steadfast love, this covenantal, never-breaking, never-giving-up love, the people whom you have redeemed. That God makes us and takes us into the wilderness, rescues us from our sin and our slavery to other things in love. It is for love. And he is with you right now in the wilderness for love. It's a love song. That is the tune. And so we got to know two, two things if we're going to sing this love song. One is we need to, the love song needs to be filled with hope. This love song should be filled with hope. If you notice in verses 14 and 16, right after uh, the song says that, it then says, the other peoples have heard. They're about to travel through the wilderness. There's all these other countries and nations right there, right? They've heard. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes Moab. Canaan melts away. Terror and dread falls upon them till your people pass by. Look, that's in the future. That, that hasn't happened yet. But yet, because they're looking at the great faithfulness of God in the past, they have confidence. They are filled with hope that God's going to see them through the wilderness. And right now, that is, that is our story, that by love, God is going to bring us through the wilderness. And this is what happens in Scripture when people are filled with hope for the world. They, they, begin, to, they begin to sing. Remember Adam and Eve when Adam sees Eve for the first time? Man, that dude busts out in song. He is filled with hope for the world. Think about Mary when she finds out that she has, she's the God-bearer. She is the Messiah inside of her. She busts out Magnificat, right? She busts out in song. Think about Zechariah, who is uh, punished for not believing God's words and his faithfulness. And he can't speak for 10 months. He has no voice. And then after 10 months, J-Baby, John the Baptist, is born. And he sees him, and he busts out in song. First things that come out of him is a song. But this is what we are to do as God's people. When we are filled with hope, we are to celebrate his faithfulness by singing. And look, I, I understand that a lot of us don't feel hopeless or, or hopeful right now. A lot of us feel hopeless with our relationships, with our jobs, with our family, with our neighbors. I totally understand. These people were in slavery for 400 years, and now they're in the wilderness. And what I want to say to you is that throughout Scripture, we see a God who can actually, you know, he can actually celebrate his faithfulness. That he, is, he has, in the past, redeemed us, saved us, rescued us. And though we're in the wilderness right now, Psalm 23, valley of the shadow of death, he will bring us through. The Christian story is one filled with hope. And we can say that because also God isn't just going to fill us with hope, but the love song is going to lead us home. It's going to lead us home. You notice in verse 13 it says, You have led in your steadfast love the people you've redeemed, and you've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Let me translate that word abode. I don't know. It's home. I don't know why they put abode there. 
It is home. He's going to lead us home. Or verses 17 and 18. You will bring them in and plant them on your holy mountain, which you have made for your abode, for your home. This sanctuary, Lord, which your hands have established. God is bringing us home to live with him by his love. In a home, ideally, I know some of us come from broken homes. I understand. Most of my students do. But a home, ideally, is to be filled with comfort, with security. Uh, it's supposed to be filled with love. You get people in there, you know, love is necessarily relational. It should be filled with love. I mean, uh, there's this band called Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, and they have this line in one of their songs called, Home is wherever I'm with you. And for the Christian, even though we're in the wilderness, this, the hope of the gospel is that God is with us now. We are home right now. And one day he's going to lead us all the way home to the place that he has established, where there will be no more wilderness. That God is leading us by his love home. And this reminds me of this movie called uh, Blood Diamond. And in it, if you've heard of it, um, there's civil unrest in Sierra Leone. And Solomon Bandy and his son, Dia, are taken, captured by the rebels. And Solomon is, is sent to be as a slave in the mine searching for diamonds. And his son, Dia, is 9 or 10 years old, is taken to be for the rebels, to learn how to shoot and to kill and to fight for the rebels. Can you imagine that? And in it, uh, Solomon Vandy finds this large diamond and somehow hides it, buries it. And that's his ticket out of there. And the rest of the movie is him, and he's, he's followed by Leonardo DiCaprio, Danny Archer. And they, they, the whole rest of the movie is them trying to get to that diamond that he's buried in order to get out of Africa. And, and Solomon's going to try to find his son. And at the very end of the, of the movie, there's this scene where they finally find the diamond, and they're burying it up, and smiles are on their face. But then there's this boy with a gun pointed at Danny Archer and pointed at Solomon, and their, their smiles become solemn. And Solomon looks up, and it's his own son pointing a gun at him. So brainwashed was he by the rebels. So Solomon, as his father stands up, says this. He goes, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vindi of the proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer in school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nyanda and the new baby. The cows wait for you and Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. I know that they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me and be my son again. And slowly Solomon had walked up to him, and tears are streaming down the boy's face. He puts the gun down and collapses into his father's chest. And you see what had happened is it was this love of this father who was going to bring his son home. And I know we are in the wilderness, many of us, but it is the love of the father who is going to bring us home. That is the hope of this song and of the gospel. And so if we sing that, we're going to sing this love song. We've got to know the words. The substance of our faith is that what God has done for us. We've got to see his faithfulness in this world. And we also got to know the tune, that it is a love song. That God loves you. He loves us. He is leading us. And it should fill us with hope in this world, and it will lead us home. And so what does this mean for us? I think two things. One is this. I think some of us have forgotten the words. We've been in the wilderness too long. We're, we we stop praying, we stop reading our Bible, and we have no hope. You know, a tree is only going to weather a storm if its roots go deep. Um, a ca uh, you know, you're only going to make it a camel through the desert um, if you've got well-stocked supplied of, of water, right? And so what that means is when we, we've forgotten the words, we have to recall God's faithfulness. And I think we've done that this whole morning, actually. These songs have been beautiful. 
thank you, Jesus. Your, your blood has washed away my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and Ron's grandson. I mean, we've been doing this, recalling God's faithfulness. And when we pray, I think one of the main things we should start with is saying thank you. Thank you, God, for what you've done this day, for this week in my life. I mean, one of the questions I ask my students is, where have you seen God's grace today? Because it is so easy to focus on the wilderness. We have to remember that God is faithful to us. We have to ask him and pray and say thank you to him. And actually, another thing you can do is write down all the ways God has been faithful to you on a piece of paper and recall God's faithfulness that way. And some of you, though, don't have the words. Some of you are like, I don't want to pray. I don't know how to pray. And in those moments, if you notice in verse 1, it was Moses and all the people of Israel singing. I guarantee you some of those people did not have the words. They were in the wilderness. And yet, you can actually invite other people to help recall God's faithfulness for you. That that is actually what we are doing right now. Um, And secondly, some of us have forgotten the tune. We know the words, but we've forgotten the tune, that it is a love song, right? Maria, it's a love song. And if you're going to memorize the line of a play, you rehearse it over and over again, right? And so instead of just recalling God's faithfulness, some of us need to rehearse God's faithfulness in our life. That this is why we come to church on Sundays. This is why we go to small groups. This is why we have our quiet times. It's not because God loves us more or because we're a better Christian, but actually because we are rehearsing the love story of God's faithfulness to us. We so often forget the tune. And the reason we have to do that um, is because Miriam does this in verse 20. I love this woman, this prophetess, who grabs a tambourine and she's like, we got to sing it again. She grabs all the women with her. we got to rehearse it again and again. And she actually brings other women with her. And this is important because, look, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people you're looking at taco seasoning in the grocery store next to, the people that you're in line with at McDonald's, they are filled with hopelessness. They are looking for love. They are looking for a love song that speaks to them. And what I'm saying is, as Christians, we have it. We have this song. So, like, what song are you singing to your neighbors? Is this a pop song, kind of light and fluffy, and the words aren't really that good? Um, Is it grungy and emo? It's kind of moody. I mean, are you, uh, would would your neighbors and your coworkers ever say that you're singing a love song? Celebrating God's faithfulness. Because, look, this world is filled with cynicism and scorn and hopelessness. But goodness gracious, we as Christians are actually filled with hope. We actually believe God is at work in this world. And he will lead us home with him by love. That is our song. And the only way that we can sing this, we can rehearse this over and over again, is because Jesus has sung over us first. I mean, Zephaniah 3.17, it literally says, The Lord sings over you. He sings over you. And the way we can remember this is they had in verse 30, they saw these dead Egyptians on the seashore. It was etched into their mind. They're old slave masters, dead bodies. But we have our own image of our dead Savior, his body on the cross. While they saw the the water dripping from these dead bodies onto the shore, we we can see our Savior in in blood dripping off of his body onto the dusty ground beneath them. And while they remember their enemies pursuing them in hate in order to kill them, we can remember our Savior who pursues us in love, not to kill us, but to be killed for us. And that kind of act, that kind of love, dying for someone else, I mean, isn't that worth singing over? Isn't that a song we're celebrating? Even in the wilderness? I'll never forget uh, my daughter's baptism. The dress, uh, the faces the whole atmosphere, and the water as it dripped down her, her, her face onto her dress and the tears that she cried and, and how her lungs were filled with air and her cries filled, filled the, the place. 
And, and those, those voices, those melodious voices of those people, my friends and other Christians singing, celebrating God's faithfulness. Some of them definitely in the wilderness, not wanting to sing, but they were singing of God's faithfulness to my daughter in that moment as she made it into the wilderness. I will never forget that. And it's a song that we are all going to sing one day, that in Revelation 15.3, every believer in Jesus Christ who has made it through the wilderness, hope will be realized. And it says we're all going to sing a song together. And you know what that song is? Revelation 15.3? The song of Moses. We're all going to sing this song celebrating God's faithfulness. And it's a song our neighbors need to hear. It's a song we need to hear and rehearse. And it's a song we can sing even right now because God is with us. He's been faithful to us even now in the wilderness. It's a song we should sing. Um, So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this passage, this song. Uh, It is so hard to sing in the wilderness. We need others to help us. But God, remind us, we have a gospel story that is filled with hope. That is filled with hope that you traversed into the wilderness for us so that we know the wilderness is not the end of our story. And though we can't see how or see why, we know that you are with us. And that is good news. Be with us, we pray, these young men and women, these older men and women, all of us who are in you, Jesus Christ, give us faith and love and voices to sing of your faithfulness this week. Because you were faithful to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.